It's time! All right, guys, we are back for another episode of Coach's Corner. This is Joe McDonough, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe underscore McDonough6. As always, we are presented by MMAProspects.com. Find out tomorrow stars today at mmaprospects.com great team over there myself included uh today we're joined by a very special guest you know we've had we've had an insane lineup and I'm, I'm very happy to to have this coach join that lineup and add to you know the coach's corner resume which continues to improve week after week um over at elevation fight team the muay thai and striking coach mr sean madden sean how are you i'm good man thanks for having me joe i appreciate being on man I, I, pleasure is all mine. It is always great for for myself and you know uh, the viewers and everyone listening to learn more from all these different coaches. You know, I ask very similar questions every week and I get very different answers, which is one of my favorite things. You know, uh, makes my job easy and I just get to listen and, and learn. You know about the sport that I love. So as you guys know, and those of you that are new, uh, we throw 10 minutes on the clock for each round. The fifth round, more of a hobby based round outside of MMA. Uh, is five minutes. So let's throw 10 minutes on the clock and start with round number one. So, you know, some some amazing fighters, obviously, at Elevation Fight Team. You know, one's fighting in, what is it, four days now? Mr. Yep. Curtis Blades. Uh, you know, obviously, you look at Curtis Blades' record and, and resume in the last year, two years, and it 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 is a title shot. It is a title shot, but because of how weird – the heavyweight division is right now with, you know, DC and Stipe fighting three times and Ganu's getting the title shot. John Jones is in the waiting. Um, if he is going to fight, who knows, but does it is this weekend, is there any added pressure on, on Curtis to have more of a statement win um, to kind of show that, Hey, I deserve that title shot just as much as a John Jones or, you know, a Stipe and Ganu. Yeah. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, um, Given the situation in the division, Curtis is going to go out there and perform the way that Curtis always does. You know, I think you know he's very aware of of what the the title picture looks like. He he's aware of the the athletes and the fighters that are in front of him in the division. You know, so he he's not as concerned about putting on a, a great performance as he is. It's just about securing a win. You know, he he did a great interview this morning too uh, with with Ariel um, and said, "Look, you know, like." my my job is to go win you know my job is not to to necessarily stand and put on a spectacular performance i'm going to do what i'm best at just like he's always done you know and and in the meantime he's just going to continue to rack up wins and when his time comes it comes you know at the end of the day when his time comes for the title shot think about all of the experience that he's going to have leading up to that you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so yeah that does it suck that he's not getting one right away sure but by the time that that time comes around the amount of fights in the UFC that he's going to have under his belt, the amount of people that he's fought and beaten in the UFC, you know, in my mind, that's going to be what keeps Curtis champion for a long time when he gets that shot. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's kind of bizarre to me that he's only, I believe, 29, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, he seems like such a savvy veteran. And I mean, he is a veteran, but to be only 29 in, in this position, and I like what you said, you know, all the people he's fought, all the cage experience he has, at only 29, I mean that title shot's coming sooner or later. 100%. And man, you look at you look at you know the heavyweight division alone. You look at the average age in that division. You know, um, 29 is a great place to be. Not only just from from the age standpoint, but also just the freshness of of everyone's body in that division too. You know what I'm saying? Like there's there's people with with significant miles on them. You know, um, you know Stipe included up there at the top. 
Um, so being that young with that much experience is a tremendous advantage for Curtis. And like I said earlier, it's what's going to make him champion for a long time. Another fighter that I wanted to touch on, you know, a, a top-ranked UFC fighter is Justin Gaethje. Um, you know, obviously another weird situation in the lightweight division. You know, I, I personally think Khabib is retired. I think Dan is kind of sitting there praying each night that Khabib's going to wake up the next morning and say, you know what, I'm doing 30-0, I'll fight Gaethje or McGregor or Chandler or whoever, you know. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen. That being said, for Gaethje, is there, because obviously there's a, a, a plethora of, you know, I mean, Chandler's there now, Oliveira, all these guys that, you know, and then obviously the McGregor, the Poirier that have always been there. Um, for him, is it title shot or bust, you know, or, or would he accept some type of, you know, top contender fight that feels like a title fight against like a Michael Chandler or something? Yeah, I definitely don't think Gaethje's, um, I don't think he's going to turn down a fight that's not a title fight. You know what I'm saying? I, I mm -hmm. think the, the Chandler fight is a great fight. You know, um, I know there was a, a, a whisper of it a couple of weeks ago of, of Nate possibly coming back. And and and, yep. and and I talked to Gaethje at practice one day and he's like, I'll fight Nate. I'll fight Nate right now. You know, like, you know, so for him, yes, the, the, he wants the title shot, of course, because that's where the payday is. But he's also willing to take a fight in the meantime, too. You know, I think there's too often we see in this sport, especially in the UFC, that waiting is not always the best solution. Yeah. You know, the, the UFC will generally, if you wait, they'll pass you by. You know, so the generally speaking, the best option is to stay active and keep your name in that conversation. And Gaethje's definitely willing to do that as long as it's the right opponent and, of course, for the right payday, yeah. too. Yeah. And, and another thing that adds to that weirdness of the situation is now you hear McGregor, you know, is like, like Lenate Diaz trilogy is obsessed with it. You know, he's calling Dana, he's, you know, talking to his coach, all that stuff. Um, and as we know, when McGregor wants something more often than not, it happens. So, you know, does that add to the weight? Um, but it's good to know that Justin Gaethje's kind of just training and he's going to accept a, a fight at some point for the, you know, the right opponent, right, right uh, money and not just kind of wait on the sidelines for that title fight that may not come because who knows when Khabib will be stripped or anything exactly. like that. Exactly. And so, you know, another fighter that just had an insane knockout and, and, you know, I think I, I love, I loved on Twitter after seeing, you know, him um, getting his hand raised because I think it was everyone's feelings watching that, you know, you're just so pumped from that knockout. I mean, just such a great contender, you know, title shot deserving all of this stuff. It, but but it's against Frankie Edgar, and you see you see you know I mean we we've only seen that happen one other time to Frankie Edgar. I mean something you'd never see, especially in the first round in that fashion. So you know, uh, as his coach, I'm sure you were pumped, but I'm also is there also kind of part of you that was like Frankie? <laughs> oh, definitely, man. You know, like um, look, I, I've I've known Corey for over a decade now. You know, we've trained together for over a decade, and and he's he's my boy for sure. You know, I didn't even work with him this last fight, but. Um, you know, like we're very close friends, um, and, and I'm always rooting for him no matter what, of course, you know, but it, like you said, it's Frankie Edgar, right? I, I've never heard anyone say one bad word about Frankie ever, you know, he's the nicest guy. He's a legend in the sport. So yeah, you see that. And look, even after the fight, the second the fight was over, you saw Corey, you know, he was feeling the same way, you know, when he was getting his hand raised, he, he was full of emotion too, because of, of what happened there, you know, but at the end of the day, man, this is this is the fight business, and and it's you or him, and and it wasn't going to be Corey that night. You know what I'm saying? So Corey mm -hmm. does a great job of, at least recently, of being able to kind of compartmentalize that, right? Like even if Frankie Edgar, uh, you know, or any legend is standing across the cage, 
on that night, it's not Frankie. It's an opponent who's trying to hurt him, and, and he's going to make sure he's putting him away. So, um, you know, not everyone can do that. We've seen that in the in the sport before, too, where people give a little bit too much respect to the opponent standing across the cage, and they can't get the job done. So for Corey to be able to push that aside for the time while he was fighting, you know, it shows his kind of mental maturity in the sport. Um, and, yeah, he got the job done. So, you know, at the end of the day, we all love Frankie, but, um, you know, it, it, it had to be Corey that night. And how hard is it for certain fighters and, and as a coach, not, you know, not just of Corey, but anyone that, that you've coached that um, has gone through this where you're fighting someone that essentially you've been a fan of for however long before you became a, you know, or before you got to the UFC and got to this point and all of this stuff. How hard is it to kind of remind yourself this is a person, not not a legend or, or, or you know, an entity on the other side? Yeah, it's exactly right, man. That's the difference between fighting the person and, and then fighting the name associated with that person. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and um you know, you can do all you want too, but at the end of the day, when you get in that cage, that person standing across from you, you know, it's kind of like the McGregor effect to some extent too, right? Where where we saw people experience that for a while, where you know they were in there fighting against the aura of Conor McGregor, and 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 that just piled on. You know, that was Dustin the first time he fought Conor. Yep, yep. You know, um, so yeah, man, as an athlete and as a fighter, you really have to be able to separate those two and just know that on the other side of the cage, it's it's a person who's trying to hurt you. And who's trained to prepare to hurt you and and you better be on your a game that night you know it's it's difficult for sure you know but uh it, it can be done and, and Corey was a great example of it absolutely and Corey, Corey obviously came out on the right side of that um you know we got about a minute and a half left in this round quickly what is the deeper division in the ufc right now 135 and 155 you got a ball in both court uh both courts but but what is the deeper division for me i think 135 but what do you say yeah, I'm going 135 too. You know, uh, I, I think also just given the um, almost kind of the youth of some of the guys at 135, you know, um, yeah, man, you know, Aljo's been in the game a long time too, but he's just getting to the title shot now. You know, Jan is there now. Corey is there now. You know, there's a bunch of other killers right at the top Rob, there. Rob Font's big. Rob Font, big exactly, yeah. you know, so like – I think just the potential for that division to be great again for, for that much longer because of where those guys stand right now, I'm going with 35, you know, there's all of those guys are monsters and 55. Look, it's, it's a killer's division too. I just think some of those guys are slightly older, you know, um, and not like heavyweight or anything, but just slightly older. I think 35 yeah. is a little bit more promise and a little bit more potential for the coming years. And I think with 55, another thing com that comes to it is, you know, again, like you said, the McGregor effect, kind of picking and choosing who you want. Obviously, Khabib is an unknown. Again, I think retired, but who knows? Um, so I think that adds to it. Where 135, there's plenty of matches that can be made because there's still guys trying to prove themselves um, in that spot. Exactly. And that's going to bring us to the end of round number one. let's throw 10 minutes on the clock here for round number two so sean tell me a little bit about your background what got you into coaching into mma all of this stuff to, to the point where you are now sure yeah so originally um you know i was i was a fighter I, I i fought in muay thai and kickboxing so um i fought for uh lion fight muay thai a couple times back in the day glory kickboxing um i fought on uh team usa over in spain um, once or once, um, you know, so I, I, I was active as a competitor, uh, on the striking side of things, you know, um, at, at one point I was working with a couple MMA athletes on their striking as well. So I was kind of doing both at the same time. Um, I got to a point in 2015 where I was working with, uh, Boyan Velichkovich, who at that time was signed to the UFC. 
Um, and, and I really started to kind of like put invest in him quite a bit. And at the same time, I had a couple injuries that were keeping me from continuing to fight. And so I just kind of made the decision, you know, like I think it's best I'm best suited to start to pursue coaching full time. You know, so I started to make that transition six years ago or so. And then I really started to kind of dive into coaching full time, you know, and, and since then, uh, you know, I've, I've just kind of put them in and this is where I am now. So I still have quite a long ways to go. You know, I'm still relatively young in the game, um, but I love this man. I love coaching every day and helping these guys out. Um, yeah, man. So, you know, uh, Elevation Fight Team started in 2013. So at that time I was fighting for them, you know, and then 2015, like I said, I kind of transitioned over as a coach, you know, so I've been with Elevation for whatever, eight years now since they started, you know, both, both as an athlete and now as a coach and uh, man, yeah, it's been great just to see where the team is headed. Yeah. And, and, you know, something I asked Dean Thomas, another former guest that we've had um, was being a fighter versus being a coach. Um, what for you is the more rewarding um spot to be in and, and dean thomas said well being a coach because i don't get hit you know so so for you what is the what is the more um you know rewarding spot to be in that's a good answer for sure you know um man they're both equally tough in their own ways they're both equally rewarding in their own ways too you know um i, I always like to say being being a fighter is requires you to be totally selfish to yourself and make sure you have what you need being a coach to these athletes requires you to be totally selfless. You know, we give everything we have, our time, our resources, our money um, to be with these guys. You know, as pad holders, we give our body, you know, our shoulders and our elbows and our wrists to <laughs> get these guys ready for fights. Um, you know, but that feeling of pouring yourself into one of your athletes and giving them everything you have and seeing them come out with their hand raised, man, there's, you know, I would say the only other better feeling to that is getting your hand raised, you know? Yeah. So for me, I love coaching. Um, it's fantastic, man. I just love helping other people achieve their dreams, especially in a sport like this that is so tough. You know, um, the odds are already stacked against you being a fighter. It's just the nature of the job. Um, so I love I love helping these guys and girls out and helping them achieve, um, you know, what they set out to do. So coaching for me. And, and, you know, interesting you said that is, you know, last week we had John Crouch on and, and you know, Dean Thomas made the same comment. John Crouch talked about Benson Henderson. Dean Thomas talked about Tyron Woodley, you know, training these guys from essentially, I don't want to say a nobody's, but, you know, amateurs and just make it into the pro ranks and all of that stuff to then watching them go and win world championships and, and UFC titles and Bellator titles and all of this stuff. And, and you've got a couple of guys knocking on the door. Yeah, man, it's, you know, and, and, and Corey's the best example, you know, like I said, so, you know, even this, the, the last two fights, I didn't work with Corey. He has his head coach, which is Christian Allen, who's a martial arts genius. He's one of the coaches on the team. And then his training partner, Carrington Banks and, and, and wrestling coach, you know, so he just kind of whittled his coaching staff down to those two guys because he gets what he needs with them. But I'm still close with Corey. If he ever needs me, I'm always there to help him. But man, like I said, I watched him from day one when he walked in the gym. We started training together. And from day one, he was a mile ahead of me already. And then the gap just got bigger from there, you know? So <laughs> to be able to watch him make that transition from from day one to fighting in the amateurs, kickboxing, you know, amateur MMA, professional MMA, you know, and, and here we are now close to a world title. It's been really cool, man, you know, and uh, I, I'm honored just to be a small part in his journey. Um, and look, even from a coach's perspective, selfishly, it's great for me to be able to see that entire timeline, you know, yep. because when he gets to that world title, 
we know what it looks like to get to that position to go from day one to a, a UFC world champion. And, and we have that, you know, we have the blueprint per se, you know, and it's different for everyone, but um, there's a lot of things that can still apply successfully exclude. So. I love that. I love that. I love the idea of the blueprint behind it. Um, what, what makes, and this is a, one of those questions that I ask every time, different gyms, different coaches, but I always get similar, but very different answers. And it's very cool. Um, what, what makes elevation fight team different? You know, uh, you know, some people have said the culture with their gym. Some people have said the, the chemistry, you know, of, of the hardworking, all of that stuff. But what is it for elevation fight team? Yeah, those are all great answers, you know, and, and I, I believe those to be true for, for most successful gyms. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's my personal belief that there's nothing really new under the sun in terms of technique. You know, everyone's teaching the same stuff. It's, it's how you teach it that can make it successful, right? But it's really the group of people that you have in the gym that are training together and trust each other and have each other's backs and support. So the culture that you build at these gyms is so, so important to the success of the place, you know, like... And we know it from experience. You know, we used to be at the Muscle Farm facility um, a couple years back, and we had some big names there. TJ was there. Matt Brown was there. Uh, Kat Zingano was there. We had a lot of big people there, you know. Mm -hmm. But at that time, Muscle Farm was paying those athletes to be there. So they didn't necessarily come there by choice. They probably wanted to be there, but they were getting paid a good amount of money to be there, right? So what we ended up having there was a group of individuals and not a team, yeah. right? Um, and that is very, very different. Now we have a team. We have people who look out for each other, who care about each other, who push each other. Oh, you know, and, and that I think is why the team was so successful last year. So the culture is definitely a big part of it. Um, I think the other thing that really lends to our success at Elevation is that we have a pretty big coaching staff. We have nine or 10 coaches on staff. You know, we have a handful of striking coaches. We have a handful of grappling coaches, wrestling coaches, strength and conditioning. The athletes get to choose their group of coaches and it could change from fight to fight if they want it to as well you know but the nice thing about that is that everyone gets to kind of find their lane at elevation fight team right you see some of these gyms that have one head coach one grappling coach one wrestling coach and shit you better hope you get along with those guys you know otherwise <laughs> you're, you're in some trouble you know um if you don't gel with one of the coaches if one of the athletes doesn't gel with me they don't have to use me as their coach you know so the fact that we have options um to 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 uh for the athletes i think is really really vital to our success you know for, for example this weekend curtis is fighting right he has his coaches cody donovan and Vinny lopez in his corner striking coach and grappling coach right i'm with shauna dobson i'm her head coach and we have valor her grappling coach here too we're all coaches on elevation but we're working with two of our athletes at this event you know so we all hang out together we're all together we're all working with this athlete specifically. So I think the variety of coaches we have lends to our success here at Elevation too. Which is super interesting. And I actually love that. I love that answer um, th that you kind of get to pick your lane, you know, what, what works, what, who you mesh well with. Um, another question that I had that was super interesting. And I asked, you know, we had Mark Montoya on a couple episodes ago. Um, obviously you guys both in Colorado. And I said, you know, is there, I don't want to say a, a rivalry, but is there a healthy kind of, Okay, Factory X just had a huge win. Let's go. You know, it's it's our turn now. Um, and and he said it's a it's a very respectful rivalry. Yeah, hundred percent. Look, the Factory X is like four miles down down the same road from our gym. You know, they're right down the street. So, I think anytime you you have that level of success that close in proximity, there's going to be a natural rivalry, right? And look, there's a lot of guys at Factory X that I'm friends with. 
You know, um, I cheer for those guys all the time. Yusuf Galal, Brandon Royval, all, you know, the Camozzi brothers when they were over there, like all those guys, man, I've known for a long time on the MMA scene, you know, Colorado. Scene. I've cheered for those guys, you know, regardless of where they are. I don't, I don't care about the gym thing. Um, but on the local level, we compete against factory X all the time. You know, um, I don't think we have as much at the UFC level, but that that's just a matter of time, you know, and, and maybe just the different weight classes, but man, with them being as good as they are, it forces us to get better too. And I hope we do the same for them. It's the same as like ATT and, and hard knocks 365 down in Florida, you know, um, at the end of the day, yeah, I have respect for those guys. You know, they, they put out a fantastic product and it forces us to evolve and keep getting better. So if we're, doing that then then both of us are doing something right and i think it's great you know and look we have a lot of guys who started factory x and now are with us they have a lot of guys that started with us and now are with them and that's just the way that the fight game goes you know every gym is not for everybody but it's nice to be able to have two high level options that are pretty close right down the street yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I think that that healthy respect for each other, like, you know, I like what you said, where it's you're, you're rooting for those guys, but now it's like, all right, now we've got to get a big win. Um, exactly. well, that brings us to the end of round number two. Let's catch up for round number three. All right, 10 minutes on the clock for round number three. As you guys know, the viewers at home, this is my favorite round. Um, each week, you know, obviously present, I work for MMAProspects.com, presented by MMAProspects.com. This is what we love. We love to, you know, hear the coaches' quotes, everything about some of their top prospects, some of the unknown prospects, some of the guys that maybe are still amateurs that they're super excited about and kind of go in, delve in on these fighters and, and see them when they come out to be, you know, who they come out to be in five, ten years down the road or, or you know, sooner or later, whatever. Um, so, Sean, rattle them off for me. <laughs> Yeah, man. You know, we, we have a ton of them at elevation, both at the pro level and the amateur level. And and honestly, you know, when, when we won the MMA Junkie Gym of the Year Award last year, I, I really credit it to these guys. You know, of course, the UFC guys are the ones going out and, and, and winning the big fights that people are paying attention to. But those guys only get better because they're training with these other guys that people don't know. Right. And, and these are the guys that are pushing our UFC guys to be at the top. So um, I, I really feel like the credit goes to them and uh yeah i have a i got a good list here um that, that i wrote down so i'm gonna go with uh, this guy first just because it's his birthday today carrington thanks happy birthday to carrington um so he's actually um he's a pretty high level pro um he was actually on tough um back in the day. he's with us now so he was actually just in uh, usman's corner this past weekend for the title fight He's in Corey Sanhagen's corner, too. I mentioned that earlier. So he had two really nice back-to-back -back wins as a coach this past couple weekends. But he's also still fighting. And, man, he is so close to getting into the UFC. I've been trying for a little while to get him in. Um, so he's at he's at 155, which obviously always makes it tough to get into the UFC there. But um, I, I'm really hoping that we can get him in soon. So Carentine Banks, lightweight. We have Lavelle Simpson, also at lightweight. He's uh, from Texas. He has a fight coming up with Fury FC down there, and they're doing a um, – they're doing a great job down there. I, I believe they just got onto Fight Pass, uh, which is awesome. Yep. Um, he, you know, he's another one of our lightweights. He's a consistent training partner of Drew Dober and Justin Gaethje and Neil Magny. So uh, keep an eye out for him. Josh Marsh, he's a featherweight, um, a little bit of a newer pro. 
Um, but man, a phenomenal striker and also a really slick grappler too. Um, his last fight was a year ago at LFA. He's been out for a little while, um, but keep an eye out for him. He gives uh, Gaethje some really, really great rounds in the gym. Um, so we're looking for him to have a good breakout year this year. Uh, Mohamed Naimov, who actually just fought this past weekend for the Titan FC title. He lost a really close five-round decision. Um, he fought on contenders before that. He's a, he's a young bro. He came to us not even a year ago. So he's from Tajikistan. Really explosive striker. Um, you know, we just kind of started getting working on him, you know. So, um, you know, we, we're still got some time to put into him. But he's going to be in the UFC at 145, and he's going to be a force when we get there. So great name to keep on on the uh, list. Uh, Arup Pagosian, another one of our lightweights. Uh, he's Armenian. Um, I believe he's maybe 7-3 and three or 8-3, eight 8-2, and three, eight and two, somewhere right around there. Um, we're looking for a fight for him. I just got off the phone with him before this podcast. Um, you know, he's another one of those guys who's right on the door. You know, if we get him one more win, probably he's going to either begin the contender series or a short notice call up. Um, and, and, and he's super explosive. One of the strongest guys on the team for his weight class, really good grappler as well. And some great striking. Um, yep. So I'm excited for him. Uh, a couple of our newer guys, we have Zach Paunga, uh, who's a light heavyweight. He just had his, he's two and right now. Both of his wins have come on, uh, LFA. Um, he fought January 29th, I want to say, um, and had a nice finish on LFA. He's going to be out here with Curtis this weekend as a training partner in slash corner. So, man, he's a three-sport pro. He in the NFL. He played professional rugby, and now here, here he is in professional MMA. Um, super hard worker, great natural athlete, um, and, uh, man, I'm really excited to see where he goes. He's a light heavyweight. I would love to see him in either PFL you know, or UFC at some point, you know, he's only has two pro fights, but I think if he racks up maybe three or four more, he's going to be getting a call from one of those organizations soon. Um, and then uh, we have Evan Ardondo, who who just made his pro debut last year. Um, he came to us from, I want to say, South Carolina. Um, just another one of these guys. He's one of Corey's main training partners. Phenomenal grapp grappler, phenomenal striker. He spent a lot of time at some higher level camps, TriStar and, and Henzo's. Um, he just has a ton of knowledge. Um, really, really great dude. Hard worker, great training partner. Uh, so keep an eye out for Evan. Uh, Nufel El Kasri, he is a featherweight. He is an amateur still. I believe he's 4-1 and one or 5-1 and one as an amateur. He was a very, very successful kickboxer, and now he's making the transition to MMA. Um, so he is finishing out his amateur career, and then he's going to turn pro. Uh, but keep an eye out for him, too. So, man, all of these guys, for the most part, kind of right around that 155, 145 range. Um, but we have a ton of, ton of names here on this list that, that are going to be making some waves pretty soon here. And I, I love the list. And, and you know, I, I have my own list going for, for everyone that's been named by coaches on every, you know, episode, every guest we've had. So so I can't wait to add them right after, you know, after we stop talking um, and, and, you know, read more into them and, and watch some of their fights and stuff. Uh, one thing that I noticed when you were talking about all these guys is that – Main training partner for Curtis Blades, main training partner for Corey Sandhagen, main training partner for Justin Gaethje gives Justin Gaethje trouble. That's not something that most you know two and zero or, or you know guys outside of the UFC and all this stuff can say that they're training with a guy like Justin Gaethje who who essentially is is right there as a as a world champion, um, and they're giving him a run for his money in practice every day. Exactly, man. It's just it's so great for them, and you know and that's why I said you know winning gym of the year 
comes down to those guys, you know, because those are the ones that are preparing these top level guys for their fights that are pushing them day in and day out. And they're not getting the recognition, you know, because they're just not at that level yet. But they're the ones really doing a lot of the work. Now, of course, the UFC guys are still going out and winning fights and they deserve a ton of credit, too. But they were in that spot and these guys were pushing them day in and day out. You know, So I know it's, it's so tough to be one of these guys who is putting in the same amount of work as the UFC athletes, but it's not getting paid the same amount or even close to that amount. They're not getting the same shine. They're not getting the same luxury of being a UFC fighter. You know, it's, it's what makes this job very tough and unrewarding sometimes. So they, they deserve as much credit as they can get. And I go back, I think back to, you know, one of the previous rounds where you're talking, you said the the blue, uh, the blueprint, you know, um, that has to be something that they really buy into, you know, when they're training with guys like Justin Gaethje, Curtis Blades, all these, all these UFC, you know, top level title contender, you know, names. And, and like you said, they're not getting paid like that yet. They're not getting, you know, the, the notoriety of the, the name, the, the, all that stuff, the money, but they've seen the blueprint work for those guys and other guys, like you said, a Corey Sandhagen, um, so, so they must be really buying in at the gym. Exactly, man. You know, and we say this all the time. I said it earlier, success leaves clues, right? All These younger guys, all they have to do is, is watch Corey show up to practice, watch how he trains, watch Justin show up to practice, watch how he trains, watch Curtis, watch Neil, right? Watch yeah. Drew Dober, you know? Just watch how these guys approach this lifestyle, how they prepare themselves, how they train, how they recover, you know? And chances are, if you imitate most of that stuff, you're going to find success, you know? Now, of course, there's always the, the technical details and stuff like that too, but a lot of it can be done just by looking at these guys and seeing what they're doing and try to try to mimic that, you know? And you'll find success that way too. And, and we tell our, our, our newer guys and our younger guys, that's a big part of the key right there. Mm -hmm. And another another question that I always ask coaches that that is very interesting getting the responses that are very similar and very different at the same time is the – it factor you see with prospects when someone walks in the door and you kind of know this guy or this girl is it this girl this guy or girl has what it takes if they buy in to be a future you know ufc fighter ufc contender ufc champion um what is it or, or, or what because i'm sure it's a bunch of things you know but but what is some of the biggest clues for you as a coach to say this guy or girl might have it yeah that's a great question you know i think I think one of the big ones for me is just the level of work that they're able, that they're willing to do, right? You know, if, if they're willing to do the small, the boring, the repetitive stuff every day that's not fancy, right? That's not sparring, that's not pad work, you know, that where there's not a camera around, if they're willing to do those little things, if you're willing to go hit the bag or work on footwork for an hour without anyone watching, right? Without getting any reward from it that at least right now, right, it, it'll pay off in the future. If you're willing to do those things, right, go put your road work in or whatever it is, I know I'm like, man, th this person, we can work with them for sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. it's the little things that I really see when it comes down to being a champion that separates them from everyone else is, is the discipline and the willingness to go the extra mile, you know? So if, if, if we can identify that in some of our younger guys, that they have that eagerness to continue to put that work in, and, and, and do the things that aren't necessarily sexy or flashy, right? Man, th that that right there goes a long way for sure. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to the end of round number three. Let's put 10 minutes on the clock here for round number four.
right, 10 minutes on the clock for round number four. You know, another thing that you talked about earlier that I had written down for a question, um, and I'm glad you had mentioned it, is being one of, you know, 9, 10, 11 coaches at the gym. You know, a lot of coaches that I've talked to have been, you know, either the head coach or one of only three coaches or, you know, um, maybe even one of only one coach, you know, like a Dean Thomas who, who has just kind of his own little thing going right now or a Tyson Chartier who's one of only, you know, two coaches with the New England cartel. Um, what is it like to and, and speak on the relationship with you have with the other coaches and how is how are like disagreement? You know, I know you said that, certain fighters kind of can pick their lane and have, this is my two or three coaches. Um, and, and do you kind of stay out, stay out of it then with, with those fighters or did you kind of step in and say, I think this could work better? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, I think for, for any and all setups, there's going to be pros and cons to it, right? If you have one head coach who says, Hey, we're, this is how we're doing it. These are my rules. You know, sometimes that works really well because there's just one voice uh, that it's coming from. Sometimes that doesn't work well if you're like, hey, I don't really agree with this, you know, and there's no other option here. Um, on the other side of it, like us, like I said, the, the benefit is very obvious. You have a lot of options, right? And when our coaching staff is communicating and sharing ideas with each other, it's great, you know. Look at the look at the downside of it that can happen sometimes, and it, and it does happen, right? When we, when we want to make a decision as a team, we have to sit down with eight coaches, yeah. and that's eight egos that come to the table, right? And, and you know – you know, sometimes, sometimes the egos get in the way. Sometimes it takes longer than we would like to make a decision as a team. Right. So that, that can be, that can be a tough part of the process, but overall we've seen more benefit than downside from having that many coaches, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, I think it works well for us in terms of like, you know, if, if Curtis is working on something, you know, if those coaches bring a question to the rest of the coaches, right. We're always glad to help out. You know, if if we say, hey, you know, if I if I see Cody over there and I say, hey, Cody, I feel like Curtis could this might help him. You know, he, they'll take that advice, too, you know, yeah. um, and, and vice versa. Right. If I'm working with Mallory and Cody comes over and says, hey, I, I would like to see Mallory do this on the ground. I think she could be a little bit more successful with this. We would take that advice 100 percent. You know, like mm -hmm. a, a big part of that and a big key to that is just being trusting with the other coaches having a good relationship with them. You know, you've seen it at other gyms before too, where sometimes you can get too many coaches and then all of a sudden it's like, well, this guy's talking to my athlete. Is he trying to take him from me? Right. Yeah. And because that ego gets involved, you know, so it, it really requires a lot of work on the coaching staff to be communicating with each other and trusting everyone on the staff to make sure that we have the best interest of the athletes in mind too, you know, and look, man, we're human. These things happen to us all the time. You know, we just have to work through them. And we have to make sure that we keep in mind that we all have, we assume everyone has the best intentions in mind and we're here for the athletes. We're not here for ourselves. You know, if we can do those two things, we're generally pretty successful with communicating about the athletes or offering advice to an athlete that I don't work with directly. Yeah. And it seems that um, not only kind of having that good relationship, but a healthy respect between the coaches, yeah. um, kind of just, you know, knowing that if you put an, uh, an input for Curtis Blades, it's for the best intentions. It's not to steal him or it's not to, you know, all that stuff. So it seems like a healthy respect. Um, another, another relationship that I always like to talk to talk about is, um, you know, coaches and managers, you know, obviously, you know, you, you're the head coach for Shauna Dobson. She's fighting this weekend. Um, I'm not sure who her management team is, but, but when you talk with them, um, is there ever kind of like this 
nope, that's not who, who gets the final say, I guess. And, and, you know, if, if a fight's brought to the table um, and saying like, this isn't for her or, or, you know, stuff like that. Sure. You know, I think most of the managers that we work with in general, um, we're, we're at, they're at a certain level where they understand that the coaches make that decision, you know, yeah. and they're very professional about it. Um, you know, uh, there's man, Brian Butler at sucker punch. He works with a good number of our guys, J- Jason house at Iridium. He works with some of our guys. There's Lloyd Pearson. Who's now with Gary V sports entertainment who has, you know, Corey drew Curtis, mm-hmm. uh, Danny Rubenstein at Ruby sports has some of our guys, Oren Hodak at KO sports reps. That's who, uh, Shauna works with. Um, all of these guys have been around the game long enough to know that their lane is management, right? Their job is to pre- present an offer to us, and we'll look at it as a coach, and we'll say, yeah, that's good, or no, I don't think that's a great idea. You know, And sometimes, even if we say no, it may not work out, You know, but all of those guys give us the option to do that. You know, if, That's a red flag anytime for me if, if a manager gives us an option and, and tells us that, you know, we're taking this fight or we're not taking this fight and not giving us an opinion on it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like I said, all the guys that I just listed do a fantastic job of presenting us an offer, explaining maybe here's, here's why from a management standpoint that this fight could be good or bad. And then allowing us to make the final say, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what I prefer. Yeah. And, and I, I, I've, something popped in my head as you were talking and I guess this is the round of relationships is um, you know, when we talked about the prospects um, you had mentioned, you'd rattled off LFA, you know um, all, all these great regional promotions. Um, that's another relationship as a head coach that, that you have to have, you have to have yeah. a good relationship with these promoters with LFA, obviously LFA, you know, is a breeding ground for the UFC, you know? Um, so, so when you are with, you know, the, the younger pros and, and guys still in the kind of regional circuit, um, talk on the relationship you have to have with those promotions. Yeah, that's huge, man. You know, like, especially for a team of our size where we have up and comers all the time, we need a a place for those guys to be able to compete on a consistent basis. So you're looking at the LFAs, you're looking at the Titan FCs down in Florida, you're looking at the CFFCs up in the Northeast region, right? All of these shows we need to have access to, you know, so we need to maintain that relationship, you know? So for me as a coach, and for the managers, we do, I do my best to try to stay in touch with those guys on a consistent basis. You know, Mark Bieri, the mar- matchmaker over at LFA, you know, I'm trying to talk to him pretty consistently. Sven Bean, who works for them too, um, you know, I know him really well, so so we talk. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's just a relationship that we have to maintain and kind of nurture to make sure that our guys have an opportunity to compete on those shows, you know. And, and the other part of it too is making sure I, our guys show up, they make weight, they're professional, and they fulfill their obligations, right? If, yeah. if if we're taking fights on those shows and we're not holding up our end of the bargain, they're not going to put us back on the show, you know? Yeah. So it's on the athletes too to make sure that they're ready for these fights and they're performing at a level to where they want to have our Elevation Fight Team guys back on the show. Exactly. And that was what I was going to add to that is, is, you know, when you're bringing guys, I'm sure there's pluses and, and minuses. When you're bringing guys that go on and have this spectacular performance, they're like, they trust you more, you know, give us the next guy, give us the next guy. But if you're bringing a guy who, you know, has missed weight two fights in a row, I'm sure they're saying, well, do we want to work with them? Um, Yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, another thing, obviously I, you know, we can't have this episode without talking about COVID for a couple of minutes. Um, You know, not, not, not only dealing with it just in the gym, but, but, uh, you know, as someone, you know, over here, I'm, I'm over here in Boston in the Northeast and I've talked to a bunch of prospects um, who have a set, you know, we, we, we had one CES MMA, um, show in the last, you know, year, yeah. um, which, which was awesome. You know, a lot of fighters actually got to fight all this stuff, but it, we haven't seen it back yet. Um, 
prospects and having to deal with kind of essentially putting your career on hold. You know, that's the way I've looked at it. But I've also, you know, when I talked to James Crouch, James, James Crouch, you know, he had said, it's also a time to be ready. It's also a time of opportunity. You know, Kevin Kroom, when he made his debut, was just told to pack a bag. And then James Krause called him, said, let's go to the airport. And when he got to the airport, he found out who he was fighting, you know. So um, just talk about that, the opportunity and kind of talking to the prospects about kind of being ready. Yeah, it's exactly right, man. James hit it on the head, you know, like, yes, there are very few opportunities at the moment. You know, there's more starting to come back now. But, you you know, no one is fighting on a consistent basis right now. And, and, you know, the last year has proven to us that, you know, especially at the lower level of the sport, and even at the higher level of the sport, you're not going to get eight weeks like we think about getting for a fight camp every single yep. time or six weeks. Right. You know, and, and as tough as it is being a, a newer guy on on the scene, your job is to stay ready to fight. Right. So when when we call, when your coaches call you and say, hey, we have an opportunity this weekend, you're going to say I'm on weight and I'm ready to go. You know, and it's and, and that is much easier said than done. Right. But it goes back to what I said earlier about doing the little things and doing them well all the time, managing your weight, staying in shape, keeping your mind sharp. Right. Staying healthy. So if men, if you really want to make this your career, when that phone call comes, you better be ready to say yes. You know, and, and if you have to say no because your weight is in the bad place because you haven't been training hard enough for that fight, man, I don't know what to tell you. You know what I'm saying? Like these opportunities are fewer and fewer right now yep. and they're more sporadic. So you better be ready when that phone call comes. You know, that's that's kind of that's just the bottom line for it. And we only have about a half a minute left in the round. But but dealing with COVID this last year, what's been the toughest part of, uh, you know, at the gym? <laughs> you know, for us, I would say it's it's the, the training schedule. We've changed it so many times the last year. The gym may close. It may not close. We have to move to another gym location. You know, so shout out to all of our fighters who have been very fluid with that and, and understanding because the it you know habit and routine is 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 what people like, and yep. that has definitely not been the case the last year. <laughs> so so being able to adjust to that has has been great for everyone. <laughs> that brings us to the end of round number four. Let's catch up for round number five. All right, so round number five, we throw five minutes up on the clock, more of a hobby-based round. Um, so, Sean, tell me about you outside of, you know, former fighter, coach, all this stuff. I'm sure you don't have time for much of it, but, you know, uh, you know, are you a movie person? What, what are some of the big hobbies for you outside of fighting? Man, um, I, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't do anything outside of this. You know, <laughs> my job is, you know, so I work at Easton Training Center, which is a martial arts gym in Colorado. You know, I'm the I'm the Muay Thai program director for we have seven locations for that. So that's my full time job. You know, Elevation Fight Team mostly trains at our East and Denver location. So they're in the same place. Yeah. So I, I work for Easton. I work for Elevation. They're in the same spot, you know, so that that takes up most of my time. You know, man, whenever the Super Bowl was, I didn't even know it was happening. I didn't know the <laughs> teams were playing in it. You know, I don't follow any other sports. Um I hate saying this sometimes, you know, like I don't, I don't get to go to the mountains as much as I'd like to. I'm in Colorado. It's beautiful. I don't hike. I don't ski. I, I mean, I live and I breathe this stuff, you know? So I have, um, I have a beautiful girlfriend, Abby. We have a dog, uh, a French bulldog Humphrey, who's a, about a year old now, you know? Um, so any of my free time I'm spending with them, you know, um, I love reading. I do, I do read a lot. Um, but other than that, man, I'm, I'm watching, MMA fights. I'm watching Muay Thai fights. I'm studying. I'm talking to other coaches. 
I'm yeah. talking to my athletes. You know, I live and I breathe this stuff 24-7 because I have to really at the end of the day. You know, I'm only 32. You know, there, there's all these other guys in this sport, the Tysons, the Henry Hoofs, the Saves, Seuds, uh, the Nick Six. Man, I'm chasing all these guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and uh, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to be. And, and the way I'm going to get there is by putting my time in. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So I'm willing to to do this 24 seven. And I want to do this 24 seven to get where they are, you know, someday soon. So, uh, yeah, it's all good, man. I love doing this. I, I, yeah. I, there's nothing else I'd want to do. Um, but unfortunately I don't have any other hobbies either. <laughs> so. Well, well, you did mention you did, I, first off, I love that. Uh, second off, you did mention the Super Bowl. So as, as a Boston fan, even though it was in a Tampa Bay Jersey, I have to, you know, shout out Tom Brady, um, the goat, but, yep. um, so, so speaking of goats, let's let's take you know we've got three minutes left on the clock. Let's take the time to who who is your Mount Rushmore of MMA? I guess you know um, who's kind of your top, and you don't have to give me an order and whatnot. Um, but who's your you know top four, top five? Sure. MMA, you know whether it's past, present, anytime doesn't matter to me. Uh, goats. Sure. I'm gonna go from lighter weights up to the top here. So okay. we're gonna put Mighty Mouse on there. Right. Uh, for what he did in the UFC and, and, and really just for his dynamic level, he, he to me was the epitome of a mixed martial artist, you know, yeah. not only his mindset and his attitude towards the game, but the way that he competed in all of his skill sets, you know, so um, he was so well-rounded, man. And, and, and anytime I watched him, I was like, man, this is this is what MMA looks like to me, you know. Um, so he, he's definitely up there. Um, you know, of course, Habib is going to be up there. Right. Uh, you know, just for for his record, the fact that, that you can go undefeated, you know, with that level of competition that he faced the last yeah. couple of years and, and the fashion that he did it in is 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 truly, truly impressive um, and, and amazing. Um, GSP is obviously up there as well. You know, um, the amount of title defenses that he had and, and, and his victories as a champion um, and just, you know, his his martial arts mindset and his approach to the fight game as well. Um, man, I'm going to put Anderson Silva up there too. Uh, we got to throw, we got to throw a striker up there. We got some grapplers in there, so we got to throw a striker <laughs> up there, you know, but just the way he kind of changed the game, um, and what he brought to the game, you know, kind of a fresh perspective. Um, and then who else, what, what is that? Is that four right now? We're going to put John yeah. Jones up there too. You know, we're going to put Jones up there for what he's done. And, and you know, to be honest, you know, him winning at heavyweight is probably going to kind of complete that. But in my mind, what he's done already is what has solidified his greatness as as a an MMA athlete. You know, um, it'll be cool to see him compete at heavyweight. Yeah. But I don't. What he's done already speaks for itself. It, it won't. It won't hurt his legacy. I think. Exactly. I, I completely exactly. agree. It, it can help it, but it won't. It won't hurt it. Um, exactly. And it's. I love that you said you mentioned Khabib. Obviously, you know, I think Khabib's you know, up there in the GOAT conversation. I, I had a friend, you know, yesterday, you know, say to me, if you look at Khabib's resume, he hasn't really fought that many people. And I said, well, and I like how you said the last couple of years, it's the way he dominated fighters like a Gaethje or a McGregor or, you know, it, you know, Dustin Poirier, like the way he, he made them look, that's, that's, that's how impressive. Exactly. Exactly. To, to make, you know, those top athletes look, you know, like they're like they're on a different level and, you know, they aren't, you know. So um, that brings us to the end of round number five and, and the end of our show. Sean, thank you very much, man. It was so fun. Um, and, and you know, like I said, always great to add great coaches to, to the to the resume list of, of this podcast. And, you know, I look forward to um, speaking in the future. And, and, you know, I thank you very much for the time. 
Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, Joe. And man, thank you for giving uh, myself and other coaches a platform to share our ideas on. You know, um, I love listening to these just to hear what the other coaches have to think, their insight on stuff, you know, not even from a competition standpoint, but just to hear, you know, this sport is so dynamic and, and you can look at it from so many angles. So it's it's great that you guys give the coaches a platform for them to share that on so we, we can hear kind of where everyone's coming from. It's really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I love, you know, I always hear fighters interviews, but you know, that's kind of where the idea came from is I want to hear from the coaches. I want to hear from the coaches, the managers, that, that side and, and kind of hear, you know, um, their side of things with those fighters. So, so I appreciate you guys and, and everything you do. Thank you very much, Sean. And thank you guys for listening in.